Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Um, Open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy is one of the early books in the the, uh, whole Bible. And again, we find ourselves in this season of Lent. And right now, we want to reach back into a story that takes place a long, long time ago to a bunch of Israelites who are on the verge of making a transition in life. And uh, there's some instructions that their leader, a guy named Moses, and you probably have heard his name before, um, but this week, I had an experience on Friday night. I went with some friends to uh, see a movie. And I remember being told a few months ago when there was another mo- new movie coming out that I made some comments in church about. And uh, so I went and saw this movie called Batman. I'm not sh- sure if you've heard about this thing that's, that's out there. And I want to do everything I can to ruin it for you. So I'm kidding, all right? Because uh, the youth team will be really mad at me if I say anything further. But I will say this. Here's what I know. Is you can know, like, I, I promise you, you don't even have to um, know much else than you know this. The nemesis in the movie is a guy named the Riddler. Like, I'm not giving anything away. That's like telling you that the Titanic sinks at the end, okay? Like, it's, what? I know. Um, so anyway, there's the Riddler and there's Batman. And the thing about Riddler, if you remember any version of the Batman story, is he's always leaving these riddles to be figured out. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come to Scripture, I feel like it's a riddle. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? And I feel like that's where we're at on this storyline that we have today. So Deuteronomy chapter 26 is where we're reading this morning. Earlier, Nikki read from the book of Luke. And she reminded us of a story when Jesus was tempted by the devil in in the desert. And he had these responses for the devil as the devil was giving him options hey, if you're the son of God, or since you're the son of God, you should do this and do this and do this, and I'll give you all of this. And Jesus rightly replied in the way that he's supposed to. And sometimes we wonder when we are hit with evil and the opportunities to believe the lies that the enemy would tell us, we wonder, what would I do in such a situation? But Jesus is in the desert. So remember that. We're in the desert today, even in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Moses is leading the crowd, and Moses is about to die. And I promise you, that's not a spoiler either. He is about to die, and he's leaving his last kind of um, pro tips for life, if you will. He's giving the people, hey, just a heads up. When you cross the Jordan and you get to what they call the promised land, here's how I want you to act. And so this latter half of the book of Deuteronomy is a rehashing of what Moses wants to tell the people. Like he gathers them and reminds them of all these things. Hey, I'm not going with you, but when you get there, here's how you're supposed to act. And there are some things that are mentioned here in Deuteronomy chapter 26 that I want to point out to you. So here we go. Verse one, when you have entered the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you, and put them in a basket. Huh. Interesting. Then, go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, and say to the priest in office at the time, and here's a long quote, 
I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. End quote. The priest shall take the basket from your hands, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God an even longer quote. Here's what we've got. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. And when we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. End quote. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. And that's where the story ends for today's reading. So again, Moses is hanging with his people, giving them some last instructions, and they know they're going to go on a journey, and they are going to leave the area of Jordan, which would be modern-day Jordan. They're going to head into the valley, cross over the Jordan River, and they're going to be going with their friend Joshua, who's leading the people. And when they get to the promised land, this is how they're going to act. Moses doesn't get to go. He disobeyed God earlier, and God said, hey, I'm going to show you what it looks like, but you don't get to go. And I know it sounds messed up, but it's all good. Relax. So they're at the end, and Moses is there, and he wants to kind of give them some heads up. When you get over there, here's what you're supposed to do. There's a few phrases in this passage that are riddles to me. Like, what is really going on? So the first one is this. My father was a wandering Aramean. I don't know if that caught your attention this morning. But why in the world, when I bring my basket of first fruits to the priest there in the new land that I'm going to, why am I supposed to say my father was a wandering Aramean? And the heart of this that Moses is telling the people is, you are a wandering people. And the place that you end up is always a gift from God. You are wandering. This is what we do. If you are a follower of God, there's a sense that we wander. To be settled and to be safe and to be secure is not always the calling of being a follower of God because he always has his people on the move. If you look back into the storyline of history, we can take it back to Father Abraham all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 12, who was asked to leave his comfort in what he knew and to trust God with where he was going. And then we get to Abraham's son, a guy named Jacob. And Jacob, it too, was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, excuse me, Abraham's grandson. We get to Jacob, and Jacob was wandering. He even married a specific Aramean lady. Like, it's on the books that he married her. So this idea of my father was a wandering Aramean is not just some weird phrase that gets thrown out by Moses. It's a, it's a proclamation over the people for who they are. Wherever you go and wherever you end up, know that you are in the midst of what God can possibly do if we have an awareness that we are not the ones who make it. 
God is the one who produces everything that we do. We get to a land across the Jordan River into what they call the promised land. Oh, one day we'll get there. Have you ever wondered, by the way, side note, for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and they're wandering for 40 years, if you remember that time, which, by the way, this season of Lent that we're in is 40 days minus the Sundays. I know you're thinking that's 46 between Ash Wednesday and Easter. I get it, but it's actually 40 if you subtract the Sundays because if you're giving up something, if you're fasting, you should not fast on the Sundays. I know that's a weird asterisk I just gave you, but that's how the rules go. So if you're like fasting something, you're like, I'm giving up coffee, which sounds terrible to me. Um, Coffee doesn't sound terrible. Giving it up sounds terrible. But if you're doing that, you can actually have coffee on Sundays. You should be able to make sure that you celebrate on Sundays because Sundays are days of celebration. So if you're fasting something right now during the season of Lent, make sure that you celebrate today. I don't know what it is. Today's your day of celebration. There's a gift for you. But as they're in this 40, 40 years of wandering the desert, have you ever wondered, would you have lasted? Because I wonder how, when it would have taken, at, when, at what point would I have started complaining? Has something gone wrong for you? Where you get to a place where you're like, I'm going to start complaining right now. This is not going well for me. I don't like what's happening. I'm going to complain. And we complain to God for we want God to fix our situation and our issues. And the people of, of Israel who follow Moses into the desert as they, they get out of Egypt they are going to wander for 40 years and they're going to complain and they're going to complain all the time. And Moses is sick and tired of hearing them complain that he complains to God about their complaining. And it sounds like the desert is just this place of complaining. But then I realized that the people are not all that upset about wandering in the desert for 40 years. They don't know it's going to be 40 years, by the way. We know that because we can look back on history and understand that. But they don't mind because before they left Egypt, they had been in bondage and oppression for almost 400 years. So for the people, anything after bondage and oppression is better. And again, they're still complaining. They're like, could we go back? Because back there in Egypt, there were like these pots of meat. They literally say that. It's in the Bible. Back in Egypt, there's pots of meat. And you think about it. It's like, no, there's no way that you were eating the pots of meat that you describe. Because you were the oppressed foreigner, the prisoner, the one in bondage who had to build everything that Pharaoh wanted. So that's the 400 years of history. And then there's the 40 years of history where they're wandering the desert. And they're filled with complaining. And now Moses is saying, hey, when you get to the place that you want to go, just remember when you get there, it's not you who did it. Your father is a wandering Aramean. This is what we do as followers of God. We wander until we get to the place where we sense God has sent us. And when we get there, we cannot start with, look what I did. Look what I produced. Look how amazing I am. Look at how awesome things are. You can say that, but make sure that we give credit to where credit is due and we understand that we wander but it's God who's the one who brings us to where he wants us. He's the exact one who writes our stories. Does that mean it always goes the way that we want? Of course not. We're all smart enough to realize that. 
Every single one of us has stories that would fill an afternoon conversation about how we have wondered why God has made us wander. And yes, I said that specifically. We have wondered why God has made us wander. All right, my father was a wandering Aramean. That's an interesting phrase. All right, the next phrase that I, that I was uh, kind of made to see was this one. You put it up on the screen. A land flowing with milk and honey. Have you ever thought about this? This is what the promised land, like if, if the promised land was out that way, we're going to go to a place flowing with milk and honey. And I think I've said this before, but it makes me think like it's Willy Wonka and like, like the chocolate factory where like you got like these little Oompa Loompas running around and they're just like dipping their hands in milk and honey and they're just like watching it go over themselves. And it's like, yes. I took my wife out last night and we went to a coffee shop to finish the evening before we had to pick up our kids from youth here last night at church. And uh, she had never been to this one coffee shop up here in Old Town. And they offered to sweeten her coffee with milk and honey. Like, no joke. And I was like, you should come to the sermon tomorrow. Like, it's going to be, it's like, like, there's no way that this coffee tastes better without the milk and the honey. It's going to be amazing. And so she ordered it. And she got it, like, the extra milk and honey. And I just went for 50%. And I tasted hers. And that's, whoa, that's crazy. Um, 50% was even too much for me. But she loved it. And sometimes we imagine that this land flowing with milk and honey into the future is exactly what we want. But understand what milk and honey represent. It actually represents what we need. Because you cannot have milk without a milk-producing animal. And you cannot have a milk-producing animal without having the kind of land that would support it. And so you leave a desert... You're not hanging out there with milk-producing animals. You're going to head to an area where it's got to have some kind of sustenance for this animal to exist and to survive. You can't have honey without these things called bees. I'm not telling you anything new. When we entered this building, when Refuge joined the legacy and history of this facility, we never knew all the stories of this place here at 308 South Glacelle. But there's one story that some of you may not be aware of that during pandemic, when we shut everything down in March, 2020, that um, we discovered because we, we hadn't been in the building for weeks that in our building next door where the kids and youth are right now, it was overcome with bees. They're not there right now, by the way, if you have kids next door, there's no bees, I promise you. But we like opened the door and like the floor was covered in bees. And it literally smelled like sweet death. Let that one sit in your mind for a second. They had produced their honey and then they had died because they had no way getting out. There was, there was an access point in the roof line next door that the bees kept getting in. And we figured out that there's something going on here. Why can't we figure this out? Because they were just dead. We're like vacuuming them all up. And you're like, you're killing the bees. No, no, they were already dead. I promise you. We didn't kill the bees. We didn't ruin the environment. They were dead. We vacuumed them up the next day more. And we're like, what's happening right now? Until we called the bee guy. And this guy, I don't know if you've ever hung out with a bee guy. (laughs) They are a different sort. And they're kind of fun to see in their element because they they get a kick out of bees. 
And they're so excited. They're like, oh, I can't wait. And we're like examining. He's like, I think it's coming in there, but like they're coming into the ceiling. They can't get out. I bet there's honey in there. And we're looking at it like, yeah, I think there's a st- next door. There's a stain in the ceiling. Yeah, totally. And um, I did what every smart person would do. I put a GoPro in, in that room while he was about to go uh, do his demolition into our ceiling to see what was there. It's super fun. Um, if you want to see that a little bit later, we can, I can show it to you. But it's, uh, I wasn't in the room because there's lots of bees. So I went in there real quickly, set the GoPro up, and then I left. And he's completely covered. He's going in because, again, he's a bee guy. And he's a little crazy. He's so excited to do this thing. Starts cutting into the ceiling, and we see the video later. And there are, I think, at least 12 hives going on with honey that's just dripping. And we all on our team just said, we have entered the promised land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey. But there's no milk right now. Where's the hon- we had the honey. So it's funny. So we, uh, we, we have um, excavated all the bees and the trappings of the bees. It's so much fun. We, we thought we could get away with selling the honey for like a little bit of a refuge profit, but it was just going to be tough. And none of us have ever done it. So I don't think you want us serving your honey. So we are going to stick to the Bible and just uh, let, the, let the bee guy be the bee guy. And so he came in and did his thing. And now it's all perfectly fine. There's no bees next door. Like I said, your kids and your students are there. It's totally fine. But this storyline, you cannot get honey without bees. And you cannot get bees without, again, the vegetation that would support bees. So when Moses is saying, when you get to that land... When you get to the future, when you get to the promised land that God is saying you get to, where it's flowing with milk and honey, it's not Willy Wonka with Oompa Loompas just dipping their hands in milk and honey. It's a land that can produce the vegetation that's needed. And that's where Moses gives these instructions. And when you get to that land and you're able to have that first crop of plants that you plant so that you can eat, take your first basket and present it to the Lord. Because it's a reminder that you didn't get here by yourself, and you didn't make this land, and you didn't do anything. Yes, we participate in what God is up to, but it's ultimately God's land. It's always been God's land. And I know what you're thinking. Is this the moment where he talks about tithing? No, it's not. Um, But some people will use this passage to remind people that, hey, even in our tithe, our ability to give back to God on a weekly basis at a local church like Refuge is a bit of our understanding that, yes, you get your paycheck, and yes, you get your sustenance for a weekly opportunity as a human in this world. But let us bring our offering to God and be reminded that we are not the ones who give it. And I know you're thinking, well, it's my employer that gives it to me. It's not really. Because it's really God. This idea that I trust God with my money is this idea that I trust God with what he's given to me. And whatever I give to him, he can do more with that than I could ever imagine. So jumping in and participating with a generous church, even a generous church like Refuge, is this, is this commitment to saying, all that you have given me, God, has always been yours. I'm in a land flowing with milk and honey where it's all able to survive because of what you do. As we continue to read, as we got my father was a wandering Aramean, we've got this idea that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And then finally in verse 10 and 11, 
we are told a few things, that we are to bow down and we are to rejoice with Levites and foreigners. And this is where the passage ends with these last instructions that, that Moses gives in this section where he says, after you've done all this and you've brought your basket of first fruits to the priest and you're going to worship before the Lord, you're going to say your big statement, my father was a wandering Aramean and now we're in this land flowing with milk and honey. Everything that you've given to me, God, has been yours anyway. I'm thankful for it. We're supposed to bow down because it's in bowing where we have a sense of humility. And it's another reminder that, oh God, you are the one who has done this, not me. Anytime that we're in the presence of God, there's a sense that we do not get to stand and just be disrespectful. We stand in his presence and say, oh God, it has always been you who have done this. This is why even to this day, there is a sense of honor that is given when you enter the presence of uh, certain people. Uh, I, I, I bet there's a, a sense that you have to do something correctly if you were to enter the room where the Queen of England was. You must bow. You must do your thing. You must uh, show honor where honor is due. And so God, even in this way, is reminding his people through his servant Moses to say, when you come with your first fruit offering, make sure that you bow. We're not going to make you do that here at church when you bring your offering. I promise you that. But it's a posture thing in your heart, in your mind, in your soul more than it is a physical thing. It's a humility aspect. It's not standing proud and saying, oh, I did this. It's bowing and saying, no, 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 God did this. And finally, this idea that you're supposed to rejoice with the Levites and foreigners, that's a phrase that quickly passes us by because you're like, yeah, yeah, I don't even know any Levites, which is probably true. You probably don't. I don't know where any Levites live to this day. But we understand the idea of foreigners. But here's the deal about the Levites. The reason that the Levites get specifically mentioned is because they are not landowners. Of all the tribes of Israel, when they enter to the promised land, they will never own land. All the other tribes get to own land, but not the Levites, because the Levites are the ones who are serving as the priests of God. And so as serving as the priests of God who don't get to own the land, it's as if the Levites are the ones who are supposed to be welcomed in with you and me. And that's where we get to rejoice with them and saying, oh, all of this has always been God's and we're rejoicing together. And we also rejoice with our foreigner. And this is the part that's a bit convicting because sometimes we have people around us who are like, I, I'm cool with worshiping God with just me, just here, right here in my own zone, but I don't want to have anything to do with the other person. And I think as we've even been saying here as a church over the past couple of months, there's a sense of it's always a community aspect of how we worship. We cannot worship God in the singular, in us alone, without understanding that our worship of God must include those around us, including those who are foreigners, those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those who are kicked to the curb, those who are so distant. And what does that even mean? I don't know what it means for you, but sometimes I know how God convicts me because there are people that I would love to write off and be like, I'm gonna do everything I can to worship without them near me. And God's saying, hey, hey, don't forget that I'm also challenging you to consider how do you worship with the foreigners around you? How is it that we consider what God is doing all around us with the people that may not look like us, that may not sound like us, and we're quick to write them off? And God's saying, even though they may not look like you or sound like you, I am still wanting you to grab together and to worship. It's interesting, um, this idea of what's happening in our world, and it's been a... Uh, uh, 
a fascinating physics lesson, I bet, for any um, high schooler. My kids come home, junior high and high school, the whole war in Ukraine is an often topic in our conversations because they're talking about it at school, they're talking about it with their friends, they don't even know how to talk about it at times. They're trying to make sense of, what am I supposed to think about this? And I can give them what they're supposed to think, but I would much rather have a conversation with them. And at times, I want to be the kind of dad who reminds them that even though I don't speak the language of the people who are involved in this war, I still want to care about them because they are foreigners to me. And so I am automatically linked to them because of passages like this where God says, I put this world into motion and you're gonna meet people all the time that don't look like you or sound like you. But we don't get to enter into the fullness of the promised land without understanding that we must enter with a posture of bowing in our hearts and our souls and our minds and linking arms metaphorically, maybe physically, with those that don't look, act, and sound like us. And that's hard. Because the world that we live in right now would say we're supposed to separate as much as we can. And I'm supposed to get away from the people who bother me the most. And I'm supposed to move away from the things that really tick me off. And God's saying there are still going to be foreigners amongst you wherever you go. And remember that in order to fully worship in the promised land that God has set up, as we worship even with them. And I know it's gonna be challenging. And I, I don't get to sit here and point fingers and blame you for not doing something right because God is also pushing into my spirit how I don't get it right all the time, how I don't always see the foreigner amongst me and realize how I'm supposed to serve and to love and to worship with them. It's hard This world that God has set up is confusing at times and I want him to fix it in the snap of a finger. And God's saying, this world, the way that it is right now, is broken. And it will be redeemed eventually. And we hold to the hope and we sense like that's the promised land. But God is also, because of his son, Jesus, is saying, there is tastes of heaven that can happen now. If we would worship, if we would bow down, if we would offer to God what he has already given. So may we see this world the way that God sees it, not as a hopeless cause, not as a place that's going to hell so quickly that we just wanna watch it pass by. But God's saying, I wanna fix this thing. I wanna put it back to rights. And would you help me? And I feel like that's the call when we read passages like Deuteronomy 26. It's not just a history lesson about what happened to Moses and the people. It's a lesson for our day-to-day. That if I really want to follow him well, I'll even consider what he challenged the people with back then and figure out how to make it part of my life today. So would you pray with me? Lord, in this season of Lent, we want to deny ourselves and to be reminded of our mortality and our existence, which is but fleeting time here on this earth. So much of our life in a a given year is made about what we want to accomplish, what we want to do. But in these six weeks, Heavenly Father, would you reorient our spirits and our minds 
to see you differently and perhaps even more clearly for what you're doing around us. In our brokenness, in our, in our denial of certain things in this season of Lent, may we be reminded of your gifts, which are lavishing to us. And would you give us confidence to face today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that have come, knowing that we don't just live here in an echo chamber where we're only in it for our own good. But we cannot live into the fullness of your kingdom and into the hope of the future without living with the eyes that you have for this world. Help us to notice the moments that are broken and to fix them. Help us to notice the people that are hurting and to bring reprieve and to bring help. That is our challenge as we face this coming week. Regardless of where each of us will go and the conversations that we will have, may we bring an awareness of your kingdom wherever we go. May it challenge the way that we think. And definitely may it challenge the way that we live. It would change everything. And that's the hope that we have for today. That we get to participate with you with the renewal of all things around us. Because you have led us on a journey and we are the ones who are wandering. But we trust you with where you lead us to bring the good news that we need to bring. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.